is this computer? Okay. So we're. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll do my, I'll do my intro. So my name is Ngoni. Um, Rob to you, Niles. Uh, this is episode nine. So I've done nine of these of uh, 60 Second Spark. So leadership-based podcast. Today we are talking to Paul, a former NFL football player for eight years, right? Is that right? Yeah, eight years, yeah. Now retired as of last year. Did you announce your retirement like right before your birthday, didn't you? Uh, I announced it, yeah, right before my birthday. Yeah, nice. That's, yep. And, um... <laughs> What other what other notable things? I think that's that's not the same thing, right? Community activist. Okay. You know, I you know I don't I'm not the one the type of person that boasts about what I do for my community, but I've I've you know ever since I was in the league, I've given out you know a two thousand dollars scholarship around a fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars scholarship, four of them to you know different students at their school every year. For like the past four or five years, I think this was the first year I missed it only because it was the uh, I wasn't able to do it only because of the virus. But um, uh, I've done that. I've hosted camps in my community, uh, free free football camps. Never tried to capitalize off that. I, I bought jerseys for my high school. Very big on you know. I'm very proud of where I came from. I'm very you know big on giving back. Yeah, and that is so. I mean, Omaha is what it says all over the place. But is that is Omaha where you come from, or I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, on the north side. And so, when you, I'm glad that you led with your youth camps, right? So, when you go back, do you go back to Omaha proper? Uh, I I I do. I try to go back and do a youth camp every year, um, or just do something for the community every year. Um, I don't really get back as much as I want to just because, you know, even though it is where I was born and raised, it's just not a place I feel like is, is good for my growth as a human right now. Yeah, I feel you. It's, do you find that a motivator for you to go back is maybe just to give the youth of like where you came from something more than what you saw? Yeah, well, I know growing up, like I had an uncle who I was able to, you know, see what he did with his you know god-given talent and how he performed and he made it you know went to nebraska and made it to the league so he kind of laid a blueprint down for me and showed me how hard i would need to work and what i would need to do and he and in a way he gave me knowledge and without having to say a word to me i just kind of looked and followed what he did and i feel like me going back and showing kids that hey i lived right down the street from north high uh, I come right here from North Omaha. I've experienced, I got some crazy stories I've experienced in high school. I made it out and it's not, it's not a far-fetched idea. And and I just feel like it's, it's so many more athletes in Omaha now. And they just kind of, I feel like we finally starting to get kind of recognition for what's been there for so many years. Yeah. Yeah. And so going, I mean, you stayed centered in Nebraska. Was that on purpose? So you, are from Omaha and then ended up the University of Nebraska. Wait, what is Nebraska's? Is it University, University of Nebraska? Yeah. yeah, I went to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Uh, honestly, I just, you know, that was kind of, I got offered, I think, my sophomore year, and it was just a lot of pressure. I was one of the top rated recruits in the state 
I didn't really have, uh, I was all American, all this stuff. And I didn't really, I didn't take any official visits or anything. I, to me, it was just like, I didn't really have a choice. I had to go represent my state. Like I had to go to the University of Nebraska. It wasn't really a choice. I didn't tell colleges that, but as soon as I got an offer, I, I committed. And that, that's just what it was for me. And you were- I do wish I would have went back. Huh? You were really good in high school though, at sports. Yeah. In general. Yeah. I, I I do wish I could have went back and kind of like experienced the whole process of being recruited, but I was so against like traveling and I saw all the recruitment videos and all that. And, and I, I went to my official visit at Nebraska and I, and my host was Courtney Grigsby, who's a good friend of mine. And um now, but I, I stayed down there for maybe half the game and I just went home. Like I didn't even stay for my official visit. They were worried I was going to decommit, but really, I just was like, I, I don't need y'all to like kiss my ass. I'm already sold. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that you were like a three sport athlete in high school. Um, I didn't realize that we were like hurdling. <laughs> like, did you could get? Are, are you a hurdler? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm. I, no, I've been hurdling since I was. Years, and I, we that about each other. Right. I, I've been hurdling since I was probably 11 or 10. 10. That's wild. Yeah. I can't I can't imagine those old knees getting over them hurdles like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, we uh cuz I went to the junior Olympics when I was 11 and I got second and I ran the 80 meter hurdles. It was just small hurdles. I didn't I got to the big hurdles in college. I stopped after that. I got too big for the taller hurdles. Right. That's right. <laughs> probably your hurdling days were long gone. Um mm-hmm. And then you play basketball, so you dabble. Uh, probably yeah, yeah. the definition of an athlete, right? Vice somebody who is athletic, vice being somebody that plays a sport, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's, talk to me a little bit about what you saw in college with the Huskers. Um, did you see anything? Because you know, in the news lately or lately recently, you see a lot of the coaches kind of getting outed for the cultures inside of their right? What did you see in Nebraska? Was How was your team culture, I guess? Um, I had two different coaches at, uh, two different coaches at Nebraska, which breeds two different cultures. Um, one of them was Coach Callahan. And I think Coach, being that he was from the NFL, he was an experienced as far as uh, how much I'm worth this. He was experienced with dealing with the type of athletes or type of players that he was getting, you know? So he understood, he understood, you know, where people were coming from, people's situations and, you know, really the culture in the locker room. And I tell people a lot, like uh, this, to me, I feel like when I got to college, I was kind of sheltered from, from like reality in a sense, because I went to the university of Nebraska Granted that uh, we used to have, it was like an ongoing thing that, you know, the white people on campus, they either loved us or were terrified of us. Mm-hmm. So, and which was, which was, you know, what it was, but, you know, at the same time, like we were, we were cherished, like just being college athletes, you know, and they, they came down on us when, when we fucked up and stuff like that. But for the most part, like we were treated like, like gods at the University of Nebraska and, and that kind of like is the life of an athlete for the most part, you know, um, to me, I feel like being an athlete 
we get sheltered from a lot of a lot of things because frankly a lot of people kiss our ass and and um it's easy to become ignorant to the issues at hand that's why i had such a great respect for what colin did um and kind of supported him in any way i can without you know offending you know lose trying to lose my job and offending you know the powers that be that <laughs> got invested in us right yeah so how do you think in a, in like i said before we started recording you know me i've always been uh-huh. super ignorant to the ins and outs of football because basketball uh-huh. is kind of my bread and butter but inside of your because you were what position did you play in college i played wide receiver in college so within your group of wide receivers right because y'all stay in like kind of your groups and stuff when you yeah yeah. i mean it, uh, in college it's a little different and the pros it's more uh i don't know if I, in college i feel like you really you you stay inside people kind of bond off the class they come in at like if you you come in with your freshmen usually them are you like your good friends like the people you come in with and you kind of build relationships with the other you know other group other classes of people but um yeah it was that that was kind of how that set up yeah, so so I just watched The Last Dance last night, all five episodes, right? I binged it. And so I was watching mm-hmm. that and thinking from a from a professional sports perspective and even just a right like track is different, right? It's so individual, you can go off and do whatever and not really have to interact with anybody else as long as you kind of take care of your own business. But right. inside of your sport and like your group of people that you were kind of mainly exposed to, especially in college, where did you see yourself if at all, kind of develop as a leader or maybe find your voice in terms of, especially being one of the better athletes, right, on the team? Um, I feel like in college I was, I was immature and I, I was put in a position to be a leader when I wasn't really ready to be a leader. I got in a lot of trouble in college. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just thankful that my, co- my coaches understood, you know, my situation, everything that, you know, I was going through and they they worked with me and they didn't give up on me and they allowed me you know to kind of have a, a redemption in a sense but um yeah i, I kind of get lost in questions because i smoke too but we'll, <laughs> so you got that's that's actually a great okay. answer um no i was i was gonna ask you where i mean i asked you where do you yeah. broke out as a leader in college i mean from what i heard you say you didn't really right so you were so yeah no no i i was i was very in, immature and then i guess i didn't really come into my myself as a leader uh until i got into the pros in which i got to see how it was done kind of because there was these guys who who you know i i respected so greatly like lorenzo alexander and santana moss and they were to me their legends and they were pros pros and they just showed me how it was done to come in and go to work because in college, they kind of, they kind of babysitted me. I mean, they, they, they babysat me and they, they cradled me through college so I could, you know, still in a sense do what I do in the field. And it didn't, you know, they baby me, but in the league, they treat you like a grown man and you on your own and it's up to you to be responsible for yourself. But I, I guess I just had a great group of veterans who kind of showed me the way, and what it meant to be a pro's pro. And that helped me in the longevity of my career. Yeah, awesome. And so in college, and this is what I always kind of wonder, 
um, about kind of the professional athlete route. So you were obviously good, but when did you know that you were going to be good enough to go to the league? Uh, I think it was my uh, ooh, it was my junior year, right? And I mean, it's obviously I went to college to go to the league. That right. was my goal. But my junior year, when my uh, NCAA rating came out, I was like a ninety-two, and I was like, "That's it." I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> no, did I? Like I, I, I told, <laughs> I told, because I was gonna commit for the draft uh, after my junior year, but I told, uh, I told the, um, uh, I told my ac- academic advisor to change my um, degree so I can graduate, so I can graduate uh, early. Cause I, I feel like I was gonna leave early because I was gonna leave my junior year after my uh, NCAA rate came out, but I ended up staying for a little bit longer. And you, that's, at that point, at that point, I knew like I was like I'm going to leave. Like I was on NCAA, they ranked me in '92. Like I was a '92 on NCAA. Yeah. <laughs> and but you finished, you finished college. Uh, no, I'm actually in talks with. It's funny, I just talked to my academic advisor the other day uh, from college and to get back in class. I only have like 15 credit hours left. I left uh, I left to go train for the NFL pretty much. And there was a decision I felt like was making. Huh? It's like less than a semester. That's like once Yeah, a I know, I know. I know, but but I left, I, when I when I left, it was like, okay, I gotta go get ready for the NFL. Yeah, so it was just like, fuck it, I don't, at that point it was like, I'm chasing the money. Like, I don't need school. But now it's like, let me, let me do it to say I did it, you know? Which is how it is, right? Like, and and that's understandable. Some people, that's their, and like you said, that was your goal to begin with. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I mean, fifth round draft pick, right? Is not, um, is not bad. Not at all. Not at all. I'll take that. I'll definitely take that. Okay. So you. My dad. You said what? Right. So you get, you get drafted. You go mm-hmm. to the Um how was and and this was so you got drafted in 2011 we met in 2012 and kind of throughout your career I was sort of like again I don't understand like anything that was going on but I feel like every time I watched you in a game you were getting just like slayed helmet helmet or some like crazy tackle I remember like texting you like yo dude like are you good <laughs> nah uh i think once i uh once i got to the league i had to you know i i, I was always like a, a gritty player but once i got to the league i realized what it took to be in this league and um i always i never turned down anything my coaches asked me to do and i knew that you know, in some cases, when they moved me to tight end, that I was going to be undersized in most cases. And I knew that on special teams, I had to I had to just be an animal out there. And I took pride on being, like, on being, like, an animal on the field and aggressive, just being really aggressive. And that's kind of, like, what they breed you to be as a football player. Like, I became uh, an all-around – once I got to the league, I became an all-around better football player. and. I think it's just an attitude thing. And I, to me, I was never going to back down from anybody on that field. And my thing, my biggest thing was always, I wanted to be respected. Like, I knew coming in early that I, being a fifth round draft pick, that I wasn't going to get snaps that I, that I wanted. So it was a humbling experience. I had to humble myself 
from being the man at Nebraska to being an afterthought on a team to where you just got to do something to get noticed. And to me, getting noticed was those big hits, was these people seeing, like, oh, this man will lay his body on the line for us. And it having that attitude really kind of helped, you know, develop my career. But and it also hurt me in the end. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's what I kind of, that's what I want to ask you about. So uh, we haven't directly talked about it, but obviously you smoke marijuana. And with, I just want to know what your thoughts are on the policies that the the NFL specifically, because that's your sport, but professional sports at large, right? But the NFL has regarding marijuana, um, its use, and the developments that have been basically made to legalize marijuana um, and proven that it's like a medicinal aspect of, and why people use it. And should that still be something that is banned in the NFL, especially when you all are dealing like, of sports, right? Football, that just puts a toll on your body um, and just like the pain that probably comes with it and what your thoughts are on that. Um, uh, if I'm being completely honest, uh, I- I would say, like, if you walk into an NFL, any NFL locker room, there's more than half, more than half the people in there smoke. Mm-hmm. And um, I think now they, the NFL has recently loosened their policy uh, in which, in regards to marijuana, marijuana use. But, you know, I was one of the people who had the experience, you know, actually going through it, being caught up in the marijuana, again, in the program. I actually failed a test, and um, and I got put in the program for a little bit, which means that I, you know, you, I had a psychiatric evaluation, and I had to be, I had to see a therapist for a year and take drug tests and be like, like for real violated. Like a med, the drug test guy will come to wherever you at in the United States. You had to let them know where you was at at all times, and uh, they'll pull up on you, and you gotta whip your dick out and pee right in front of them. And I, it was, it was, you know, it was times where I would be like in Florida and the drug test guy pull, I mean, in Miami and the drug test guy would pull up on me and, you know, my God, I'm on vacation. And it's like, bro, you just go come in here and just force me to piss for you. So I was one of the people who got the experience that I didn't really like that uh, at the same time. But in regards to like the whole, like the whole marijuana policy as of now, I think they've loosened it to a point where it's, they've kind of integrated the what's going on with the world. But I know that back in well, just a couple of years ago, like people were getting kicked out. A lot of, a lot of guys was getting kicked out of the league. And to me, I didn't really start smoking until I got to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, solely because after some of those games and some of those hits, uh, I, I experienced, you know, the Oxycontins, the Xanax, the, you know, the painkillers, I experienced those and then I got to smoke. So, so to me, oh, okay. so to me, to me, to uh, experiencing, you know, how those made me feel as compared to like, after just the blunt and releasing because it was hard to learn that stuff that was going on, especially after, you know, a hard practice or a hard, uh, I think it was a benefit to me, like just being able to relax my mind like that and 
instead of like being on, like I had after, I think after my second concussion, after my second concussion, I was having trouble remembering plays and stuff. And um, it was just, it was just, I was in a place where I was like kind of panicking and I had never been, you know, I had never been, you know, told that I had ADHD, but I went to a doctor and they told me that, oh, you've developed ADHD, which I didn't even understand. So I was prescribed to, they put me on Vivan, uh, which helped, but I feel like it was too much. And at the same time, like I couldn't come down from that. And I feel like smoking just really was just was something I could do that would just calm my mind, especially like, you know, dealing with the highs and lows of playing football. Um, I feel like I just kind of rambled on a little bit there. No, I keep walking in. So my brother has and he says the same thing about smoking. Yeah. No, they try to put him on medication, whatever. And his whole thing is like, I just don't like the way that that makes me feel the medication side. So, so he smokes and that, I mean, Yeah, I can feel that. No, but that's good. Um, that that and that. I mean, that's just a larger problem. I feel of of playing football, right? Because not only does it take a toll on your body, but you mentioned your concussions and the the after effects of, you know, what yeah. you have sustained individually. Are, I mean, that's stuff that you're gonna have to deal with for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, man, it's 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 one thing to have you know, try to have that warrior spirit, but then <laughs> I, you kind of left, you kind of left. They, I'm not saying they, the NFL kind of leaves you out to dry. No, because, you know, they, they take care of you and, you know, they, they do, they do what they need to do. They do what's required of them. But at the same time, it's, it's, I feel like they don't, they're not accountable for the seriousness of, they they do everything to not hold themselves accountable for the seriousness of a concussion and what we're doing every time we experience one and all that stuff. So that kind of frustrates me a little bit, but I guess that's the, that's the risk I took playing this game. Yeah. But at what point does the resiliency that you have as a professional sports player and the grit and the hardiness, right. To just power through and, mind over matter and all of that just not be it anymore? Uh, I think it happened to me. I didn't want to retire. That wasn't, that wasn't like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to retire, but I got picked up by the 49ers for my ninth year. Mm-hmm. And um, I went out to training camp and I really just did not feel like myself. Like I just didn't feel like even with the contact, like I wasn't striking like I was, like I wanted to, I just wasn't the player that I felt like I could have been, or I wasn't the player like I felt like I had been. And um, I just kind of, that's why, you know, when they pulled me in the office and they said they were going to release me, I completely understood. And I was like, I, you know, I, what I've been putting on film just to me wasn't, wasn't cutting it, even though I did feel like I was kind of getting back in the groove of things. Uh, I know that, you know, it takes, you know, with the NFL, if you if you don't produce from them immediately, like they'll replace you. So it was um it was just a situation where I just wasn't I just kind of wasn't feeling it no more. And I guess to reflect in my game, um, and they let me go. And I had a 
choice to go to Oakland to try out for the Raiders. And I told my agent, I was just like, no, nah, man, I'm just going to go home. Then I'm going to retire. Like, I just wasn't feeling, feeling it no more. And I had been going back and forth with my love of the game for a while. And I feel like it just got to a point where I was clearly just chasing the money. And I had kind of lost my love of the game. And then on top of that, I was having trouble. I was having trouble remembering plays. And I just didn't feel like the same player. Mm. So when you, when it's all said and done, right, are, were you okay with it when you left? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I wasn't okay. Uh, I wasn't okay with it, uh, especially <laughs> for the fact that the 49ers went to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, I just was like, to me, I, I, I dealt with a lot of, uh, I kind of fell into a little hole because I was mad at myself because I was like, what could I have done to be prepared, to be possibly, I mean, to be more prepared to like get my mind right. And uh, it was all these things I came up with and I just convinced myself that, you know, I let myself down. I let my people down as far as, you know, to me, I felt like I had a whole city on my back. You know, so many people believe in me mm-hmm. and what I, what I did coming from, you know, the circumstances I came from. And I just feel like to go out that way, I feel like I let a lot of people down. So it was a grieving process for me. And I was kind of like, you know, crying out in a sense, but just doing a lot of shit to try to stay busy. Like I was like going to Vegas and partying and driving the expensive cars on the, on the raceways, which was fun and shit, but it was just like things to keep me busy and not kind of get stuck uh, in that hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but you and I have talked about that though. Yeah. Uh, what is it that you want? But that's a whole nother conversation. Um, right. Okay. And, and I think that that, that I think in respect to not only the fact that this is this is you leaving your professional career, right? Something that you dedicated your life to, um, but also with all the things that were sort of developed from football, right? I think that you can take back to really a lot of leadership skills and the fact that you are stepping up as a leader in your community to kind of do all the things that you were doing. And I've heard you say it a couple times, um, putting your city on your back and really wanting to represent and be something that, or somebody that could be a change agent for other people. Um, Maybe not to be, you know, a professional football player, but to just do better or that it can be better than what it is. I mean, that's a significant, that's a significant role that you've played. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just hope, I I just always wanted to have an impact on my city in some way. And And at times I feel like I can do more, but, it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. And so you leave the league. Uh, you spend most of your time with the Redskins, like you said. I mean, you played for um, Jaguars for a year. Yeah, and then you went to the 49ers for that, that short amount of time. But then yeah. with it mainly being with the Redskins, with this kind of we're, – we're in a whirlwind of, you know, racial angst um, and with it being at the forefront, right, because it's always been there. I feel like people are yeah. like, it's a resurgence. It's not a resurgence. It's always kind of been there. Y'all are just not paying attention until now uh and the redskins this has been an ongoing issue with the name (laughs) for a while every sunday we'd pull up and they'd be out there protesting the name and honestly i understood i understood where they was coming from i have uh, in the from from nebraska i have a native american friend and you know he explained to me 
you know, he, he told me he would support me, but he also explained to me, you know, why the name was offensive. And it was just like, it's like, you know, how would you feel if they was called the Washington niggas? And I was like, ooh, or niggers. And I'd be like, I was like, ooh, you're right, that I'll be tight. Like, I'll be tight. Like, I would never play for a team like that. But it was like, honestly, like, I didn't know anything about the Washington Redskins until I got out here. And I think just, you know, being able to see both sides of it and kind of see where it's at now, like, this is something that I thought would never happen because the Redskins have done everything in their power to kind of silence the voices of the Native American people out there and kind of uplift the small minority of Native American people who support the Redskins, who are super fans and support the Redskins. And, and I just think that this is a, a great time to be alive and to see because I never thought that this would happen. You know, I never thought this would happen. And to see it happen, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Even when... um. Colin was doing his protest and taking a knee. The only issue I had with supporting was that I felt like a walking hypocrite or a, a, a contradiction in a sense because I'm sitting here supporting my my truth, you know, Sam, Black Lives Matter, and I'm on a team called the Washington Redskins, and I'm completely being ignorant to it, it was kind of like a moral, like a moral dilemma, like you, they are. This is this is your job. You are working for them. You're in the NFL. You know this name isn't appropriate, and you just kind of try to like put it on an afterthought. And I guess that's what so many people do. And I realized, um, I, I I realized while I was there, like okay, like this is a problem. But I didn't. The way like, even when like you know me and my teammates, we we me I think me D Jack and a couple of the guys. We we took a knee one game and then we put our fists in the air another game and we got I remember like we got called everybody got called in we had a team meeting they pretty much told us the higher ups told us like we don't do that around here and they showed us all the support that they had and it was just like and we got a little backlash from people because it was like how are you guys gonna say you know Black Lives Matter when you when y'all supporting in such a race and I'm just like I was like I understood like I just kept my mouth silent about it but to me I just wanted to show my support like I I would feel like a sellout if I didn't do something you know to show like I I, I hear you I just I'm not in a position where I can really do much I don't I'm just a small player who who is expendable right you know, I'm not all of us be here but yeah I'm just I'm I'm trying to live out my dream you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get drafted. I didn't ask to be drafted to Red Right, and that is a. I think that that is a very fair and valid point, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not everybody in the league had. I mean, Colin Kaepernick literally was willing and did um, willing to give up everything his entire career, right? Like, oh, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: what Colin did was incredible, but let's not negate the fact. And so many people came down and so many football players who were just happy to have a job. Colin got a bag. Colin got a bag. And he was and he he was more than in a good position to be able to say, hey, I'm going to hang these shits up. I ain't got to play another down no more. You know what I'm saying? He had a bag. So it's like, I understand, but at the same time, like, Colin got paid. Yeah. So, so he, not a lot of... It, most players in the league aren't in that position. 
Yeah. And that's, I think that is a huge kind of misconception in how the media and, you know, social media and opinions and articles or whatever made it seem like, you know, this guy is unemployed. He's not making money. He's, you know, suffering just as much as everyone else. But like you said, he, and even after that, he was, I mean, he's still, Nike didn't drop him. Like he still has endorsements. (laughs) And listen, I got I got a couple homies right now that deserve to be in the league that that been blackballed by the league, and just they get treated the same way. Only they don't get the same opportunities that Colin has gotten, you know, in which he got a tryout, in which they do the independent tryout, in which he got the show. I mean, in which it's like I know, like I know a couple other players right now who've been itching to get back in the league who deserve to be in the league. And that's just how the game works. Like, once you out the league, you normally out. That's just what it is. Like, <laughs> it's hard to get back in. It's, it's like they constantly try to replace you. If they can find somebody to replace you, they will. Now, does Colin deserve to be in the league? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is, he is better than a lot of the court backup quarterbacks in the league, but I don't think he would be a starting quarterback. Right. Yeah, very good points. It, it, so for you as someone, like you said, if we go back to you see yourself uh, or maybe I see you as a leader of your community because of the things that you were doing, um, being a pro football player, all of these things, and then having this like ethical dilemma of the name of the team that you're playing for and then the Black Lives Matter. I mean, it wasn't we weren't calling it Black Lives Matter back then, but it was a Colin Kaepernick controversy uh, in the league of what, what are they going to do? finding y'all what's going on with the teams um did you find that like anybody really stepped up as kind of a voice or someone that was there anything internal that y'all talked about it was like okay this is how we feel or was it kind of just like however you felt individually was how you felt and we just don't talk about it yeah they kind of shut it down it was it was it, most organizations i know that from the people i've spoke to they you know, we, we had a team meeting um, on how once they seen that we were kind of stepping out and supporting what Collins, you know, taking a knee for, and they kind of addressed it to us and told us, like, we don't do that here. And that was the conversation. That's you know, it. some players were upset about it. They, they expressed, we expressed how we felt about it. And that was just what it was, like. We never talk about it again. Yeah. And that's an interesting point that you bring. And I think that as players, you with inside of that organization or your franchises, y'all don't have very much power. <laughs> no. Unless you're <laughs> unless you're unless you're a big contract guy, you have no power and you're very expendable and they will release you or trade you. In a heartbeat. Yeah, that's wild. I, I definitely cutthroat, right? Yes, yeah, this is very cutthroat. Very cutthroat. Well, I mean, thank goodness the Redskins. I I did not think that they were going to change their name. I'll be honest with you. I thought that they were going to be like, oh, we looked into it and just yeah, you know, whatever. But oh, I feel like they got back in the corner and they didn't have a choice. FedEx. They went with the money, right? do, and that's the main sponsor. So they had to go. Yeah, with the money. once they take the money, that's the issue. 
that's all those sponsors. So I don't know. I don't know if it's performative in that respect because they want to get their deals back or because somebody was like, this is actually the right thing to do. But with this one, I feel like I don't care. Right. Just as long as they do it. But I, I, I think it is the initial one. Yeah. So with that, with kind of the conversation of Black Lives Matter, having this whole situation that the country is in right now and kind of ongoing protests but we saw a huge huge spike in the protests slash riots that happened mm-hmm. right after the george floyd murder and around that same time it was all there was several people who were murdered in like i want to say like a two month time span yeah. Arbery happened and then you know, it sort of, it blew up on social media, but like two months after it happened. And then the George right. murder happened and then all of the protests started happening. But the Breonna Taylor case, and I want to say it's been something like 159 days today since that incident happened. Right. She was murdered. And the there's still been no, at the very least, there's been no justice in her case, right? And so I look at this from a lens of when I'm looking at social media and I'm seeing what people are reading, posting um how kind of it lit a fire with george floyd and we're like hey you know protect black men etc etc right but when it comes to Mm -hmm. black women i feel like the and i'm i'm almost hesitant to say the black community because then i'm speaking in an overgeneralized manner but i'm saying the black community seems like they do not care or go as hard for black women as they do for black men what do you think about that oh I, I think I just I'm a little biased because I have six sisters and you know I've always been a protector of of my sisters and whether older or younger and I take that you know my brother my older brother has always you know kind of coached us into being protectors of our sisters and my sisters are black women and most women that come in contact with me know that like like. I would put forth myself and to protect them if they was in a situation where even if I wasn't even comfortable with them like that, you know, I've been in situations where I've helped, you know, helped help women that I've seen getting beat up at gas stations. And um, it's just something I've never let ride or, or, or you know, ignore. It was never cool with me. Um, to me, so that's why I just feel like I'm biased because to me, I just feel, I do think that like in the sense that you know we black women get put on a back burner but at the same time like the level of oppression that not saying that black women experience any different level of oppression but the, the level of oppression and humiliation that black men have experienced i think kind of is, is, is kind of resulting in all this unfolding um and i'm not saying that black women haven't experienced that over over a span of you know this this country's history but um do you think that i think we're i think we're getting to a place where i'm sorry but i do i think we're getting to a place where it's being it's being noticed and now it's like it's at the forefront of of issues and people are being held accountable and even with this brianna taylor situation i think it's it's to me the situation um this is which i don't really understand i I, i'm not like i know the ins and outs but it's a situation when they ran up in the house and 
the boyfriend is it is that that situation yes they they, so they, they had, went at the house and had a no knock no knock and killed her but the boyfriend shot back and I stuff think, like that right yeah so it was a no knock order they were unmarked police officers so just wearing whatever i guess yeah um broke down the, it was like 1 a.m came in the house so she was in the bed um the boyfriend thought that they were intruders went and got his gun and they shot her in her bed and yeah. then later they were like oh this wasn't the right place this wasn't the right place which already sounds fishy and i i would ask you what what in that case what do you think needs to be done because I, I i i i see people going hard and i don't think it's an issue of how hard someone has been going for you know george Floyd. people are going hard for Breonna taylor i just saw a bunch of people sitting out having a, a, a peaceful protest or a sit out in front of somebody's house and they got arrested for it but mm-hmm. i've been seeing people going hard for it and um i just think it's not an issue it's not it's not like a, a community issue at this point it's a government issue and it's whether they're going to hold those people accountable mm-hmm. because our community is definitely stepping up and shining light on this issue right now yeah and i i don't condone the riots that were happening um Mm -hmm. or illegal activity like that but i do think that that was part of the reason why you saw such or we saw such swift um resolution to arresting the officers involved in george floyd's case yeah um and so i just think that and I mean, this goes back to a whole nother argument. So of course I'm like watching all kinds of documentaries and like learning more about James Baldwin and his writings and the, the difference mm-hmm. between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach to things and how, I mean, nonviolence really didn't get us anywhere, right? In the 60s yeah. um, and, and just those things. But, but I do wonder, so listening to you speak about that, about black men and how kind of, do you think that people feel that way about black women versus vice black men because black men are these things happen to them more visually like they're the things that you know what i mean like george floyd was murdered on camera uh Mm -hmm. black men that are kind of thrown around by the police beaten by the police a lot of those like it's on camera like your your disparities with the things that we deal with as a black community are very visual and upfront in your face. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of the things that black women deal with are very much behind closed doors, right? So uh, yeah. it, it going away back to slavery, right? Of, of just being raped and that was the thing, that's the thing that happened. But those things um, be and even in the workplace, right? Being spoken to different, having like, I can't work with you because you're an angry black woman, like all of these things kind of bring us down to different levels um, and even being seen differently like it, with the um, the white feminist movement and how white women didn't include bl- black women in uh, the suffragette, like the, the voting uh, yeah. suffrage, women's suffrage, right? So all, but that's not, you don't really think of that when you think of women's suffrage, you don't think about how black women were excluded from these things, how black women have continuously been pushed to the side or humiliated or been taken advantage of or, you know, all of these different things mm-hmm. as you say, because it's not really in your face. Nobody's recording these things. Nobody's putting it on front street. Whereas I think black men, what you all are facing is. 
Um, I definitely agree with you on that, but at the same in the same time, if I saw if that wasn't George Floyd and it was a woman who had a knee put in her back, I think it would have been a black woman that had a knee put in her back and suffocated. I think it, I, granted, what happened was, you know, the, the reaction that people had, the riots, everything was crazy. I think it probably would have been 10 times worse because if four officers did that to a black woman, I, I do believe that people would have lost, I mean, people already had lost their shit, but I think it would have been a very similar, if not more extreme reaction. Um, uh, it is it is no secret that that black women have been taken for granted and underappreciated for years, uh, and, but at the same and at the same time, speaking as a black man, like I only can speak from my perspective of 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 what you know of, of oh man, I can look back in history and say, oh this is what they did, this is what they did to black men, this is what they did. and I understood that you know how the women was treated and everything, but I, as a man, I only could relate. For, I mean, for so long, I only feel like I could relate to what they were saying about the black man. Mm-hmm. And it was never kind of in my forefront until it became, until women, black women started shining a light on it. Like, hey, like, we've been silent for too long. Like, and to me, black women are, are some of the strongest women in the world. So, and that has just always been my personal opinion. So I've, I, I respect and understand where you know black women are coming from, and uh, I'm just glad that it's you know we're in a time where people are aware of it and it's starting to change. Like you, I mean, it's 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 slow, but it's starting to change. Like people, the fact that people are aware of, of aware of it now, and it's not like just a hidden thought, is a big step. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think what you say, again, I think we might be sort of saying the same thing, right? Because if, if it was a Black woman who had been on camera, right, being murdered, there would have been a different mm-hmm. response. But when you look back to the Sandra Bland case, and nobody can tell me anything different. That woman was murdered. Yeah. Um, but we kind of, you know, you don't see that part on tape. You just see her being arrested. And then next thing you know, she committed suicide. Um, yeah. And, and which, that, is, which is wild. Yeah, that's where I think we see the difference. Um, and maybe that's why we just haven't seen the same effect on people because we haven't had to face it yet. In terms, yeah. Like on the social media, on the things. And, and it's been weird. I've seen some clips that have gone around of, um, of some, nobody's been murdered, but of some pretty humiliating things that have been done to black women recently. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen that video where that lady got, they came into her house and they arrested her. She was in the shower and they made her like yeah, naked and all this stuff. And it's just, and that kind of stuff is insane. Um, but definitely, I don't know. For me, and obviously I'm biased, right? Because I'm a black woman. So for me, I see this stuff mm-hmm. like, yo, um, this is, this is wild. But then I think about this idea of like toxic masculinity, right? Yeah. Which I don't know. I'm kind of over that phrase of being toxic anyways, but the, the culture, this is a tough one. I didn't think I was going to go here, but the culture men and even sports guys like yourself, right? <laughs> and we've been out, right? You and I have been out with Krista. Yeah. 
popping around here and like we've dealt with your friends friends <laughs> what are your thoughts i guess looking back right i'm not gonna put you in a place of like when we were this is way back like a while ago yeah. you're a rookie so whatever yeah. uh, to that niles ball but looking back <laughs> on some of the experiences that you've had especially being a, a sports athlete or somebody who has a lot of money right um yeah. i think you deal with it even more i think just see it and if not you personally but having eyes on some sort of treatment i think of, of all women what are your thoughts on like the kind of this whole movement of policing other men like respecting women more etc oh man i think i think it's a I think it's a big responsibility for men, especially if you consider yourself an alpha male, um, to take on. As you, you, I feel like I've seen a lot of shit, and um, and I've seen a lot of shit happen that I wish I could have like just been like, in that time I could have spoken on, like yo, bro, but too, but at the same time this is like my homie, and at a later time I would, you know, I I, I would pull them aside and check them and not, you know, embarrass what's happening in the moment. But, you know, I do think as men that we need to hold ourselves more accountable uh, when it comes to policing ourselves um, with our women. And it's just like, I, I always say like, you know, if I wouldn't want my little sister, if I wouldn't want a man to talk to me or treat my little sisters like that or my sisters like that, then, you know, why would I move that way too? And I guess it's just we in a, a time where, you know, <laughs> niggas have to start realizing that, like, like all the weird shit has to stop. <laughs> like, like all the weird making women feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, it, it's it, I can only imagine what it what it would feel like to be a woman. It, 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 to me, it's terrifying. It, it seems terrifying in a sense um, because it's like you always got to be on guard. And I hate that women have to feel like that. Like you always got to be on guard or you always got to, you know what I'm saying? You always got to keep your head on a swivel. Like you, you, you're living with PTSD because, you know, it's some weird niggas out here. And I just think that as men, we need to hold other men accountable. That is very, that is very real. And it's very real. And I think we live in a, a time where it's like, oh, don't get nobody's business. But if this is your homeboy and he doing some wild shit, like if my, one of my homeboys called me and told me, oh, I put my hands with my girl and tried to justify it, like I wouldn't let that ride, bro. I would tell that nigga about himself. And that's just what it is. Like, I just feel like you you got to start holding. If, if you know if you know some shit going on that ain't right, you just got to start holding people accountable. Why do you think that's so hard for people? Uh, I don't know. I just think we live in a time where people don't, you know, they they don't, they care too much about what that, maybe that person's going to think or person's going to feel or somebody's going to feel like, oh, this nigga, he, he like this or he a lame nigga. Like, mm -hmm. niggas be trying to fit in too much, you know? And yes. I, I just think that if you consider yourself like, like a man, like you, if you consider yourself like an alpha male man, like you, it's certain shit you wouldn't let ride. Like, and that's always been, you know, kind of how like we was raised up. Mm 
Like, we ain't, we ain't going for none of that. We not with the weird shit. And if you want the weird shit, you're you going to get checked. Yeah, I feel that. And I think we're seeing a shift, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's because that, what you just said about the, the part of the alpha male is this, is protecting women. And it's not just protecting mm-hmm. women you know. It's protecting, like, women yeah. also um, in these yeah. Which is that's another that's that's another conversation, right? Because sometimes because you and I know each other, sometimes in a situation where men don't see it that same way, they're like, well, I'm gonna look out for her, but not old girl that's going through something very similar right next to her because mm-hmm. I don't know who she is. Right. And that's sort of that's another problem, but I think we're seeing a shift of where people are not feeling so attacked by it and like you said, wanting to fit in so much with old boy that's doing whatever um that's yeah. no longer like the cool thing to do yeah because it was it was it was a uh uh we did live in like a toxic masculine culture like and that goes back from just everything we were programmed we've been programmed to kind of believe in and, and feed into and i just think that you know finally women have become empowered enough to where their voices are being hurt and like you can't and it's just the levels of what you know we're peeling back as a society and as as, i just feel like it only keep growing from here and you know you can only hope it'll keep growing from here and doesn't become stagnant yeah i agree all right now that's all i had to ask all right all right all right an hour if you can believe that you said what it's already been an hour has it? Yes. This happens every time. So every time I'm like, oh, okay, I have these. I didn't know that. And it's not going to take long. It always takes an hour or more. Um, yeah. so I really appreciate you getting on this call with me. I know I was like, can you do this? And I didn't even really know what I was going to ask. But I think um, I think that was really good. Thank you for sharing your insights. All right. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't make me sound like an idiot. You feel me? You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Huh? Okay, okay. I ain't even All right. All right. All right. Well, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know when it comes out or whatever. I'll, I'll tag you in all the stories, et cetera, et cetera. All right. We'll have to have some follow-on conversations. I can see me having you back on because um, I want to talk more about you, Niles, what happens after the NFL. Okay. And what okay. are you doing um, with your screenwriting? All right. Cheers. I'm working on it. Hold you accountable. Okay. All right, homie. All right. I'll talk to you. All right. Out. Yeah.